Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Oh, what a great, great joy to be here and to see so many of you. You look beautiful. It's such a beautiful room that's filled with love and the Holy Spirit. I can just feel it in my heart. And I'm so grateful that you invited me to share my story with you, especially on this day of Our Lady. So I'm really, really grateful. And I've been talking to a few students about faith in this school. I already decided where my kids are coming. <laughs> they better come here. <laughs> I knew that, but today I think something is ringing louder in my, my heart. So my daughter, she's 15, and time we start to talk about it, she's like, Mom, I still have a few years. <laughs> but I'm going to say, okay, now we need to talk about it. <laughs> so it's really a great joy to be here and to know especially that I'm sharing a story with people who have faith, who understand the, the experience I had. I mean, we're always growing in faith. So it's not that I am anywhere far away. You know, the more you love God or you get to see how much he loves you, the more you want to love him more. The more you realize, actually, you are far away. The more you taste that sweetness, the more you want to get closer, you are more tasty. So it is so good that I can be in a place like this. And even more for people who love Our Lady, our mother. She's just a mother, a mom. And I would not be here today if I, I did not come to call, talk to her, to call her, and for her to give me her rosary to hold on to. Somebody said that a rosary is a thread that bend heaven to the earth. And I definitely went through that moment where you just have to put heaven, like, you must be here. <laughs> and through this trade, definitely I have felt God. So as you saw, the genocide was a horrible experience, but it is an experience like every pain we go through that we really pay attention to, not fight it, but face it with acceptance, not accept it like, oh, it's okay, it can happen, but go through it without fighting, we learn so much. We learn so much. And it was the same. The genocide taught me so much. It is funny to be able to say today that I feel more peaceful living my life more free than I felt when I thought I had everything. And among many lessons I, I, I learned was to know that you can forgive anything. Really, it was a lesson. I used to think you forgive somebody who says something bad to you and who apologized at least five times. <laughs> Not somebody who is trying to kill you. Not somebody who is trying to eliminate anybody who looks like you. But when that happened, the forgiveness in my heart, it came like understanding. You know when you have been looking for an answer to an equation and all of a sudden you say like, oh, that's not what I thought. And what that felt was, it felt like peace. It felt like freedom. And I've been so privileged. And it is really the strength that continued to take me around. You know, I wish I had apparitions where Jesus can talk to me <laughs> loud and I can hear where to go. But I get it from you, from people who tell me my story, have touched them, have affected them. And that's what gave me the passion to keep going. 
because as long as my life is still useful, then there is some job to do, especially useful to another human being. And people have shared how my story have touched them, especially I remember among many, many, many letters I get, one lady, she's a, a Jewish and she survived the Holocaust. She was among the first one I met. She came to me after I spoke in Dallas and she hugged me. She was shaking. She was really much older. And then she told me in tears, I have been waiting for somebody like you who have lived it. Who knows what it feels like to be there? I couldn't take it from anyone who doesn't get it. And she said, even if I die today, I would die in peace. Because that huge luggage is lifted. And she told me, keep talking, keep talking. I remember the group I spoke to was about 2,000 people. I thought I was done. I mean, 2,000, that was a lot. <laughs> Especially in my first few talks. And she really gave me that, that feeling that, okay, maybe there's something being done. The grace of God that touches me, touched me, is continuing to touch other people as we inspire each other. Another man I never forgot, he told me, after I he heard you speak, for the first time in 54 years, I was able to sleep in peace. And I wanted to ask, have more time to ask him, what happened? What touched you? What made you change your mind? What happened to you anyway? Later, I found out it was a family member who heard him when he was young. And he said, I have slept with that. And again, not that I did it, but the grace of God that opened my heart to let it go. I know touched that man. Another big lesson I learned was just to know that with God, there is always hope. Don't give up, no matter how bad things can be. And you don't know what tomorrow will be. And nobody, like our lady used to tell us, nobody lives on earth without suffering. It's a part of life, we go through it and we learn from that. One boy from Mexico, recently, she, he sent me a letter, he's 14 years old. We need to talk on the phone, we have been writing to each other. He told me how one night, recently, he found out he had a throat cancer and he decided to commit suicide. He saw how his parents were suffering, but he said, better I take away my life so they suffer once and it's over. So at night, he got medication to commit suicide and he started writing a letter and to say bye to his parents. And then he realized there was a book in a corner called Left to Tell. And he pulled it and he started reading, a survivor. He keeps reading, he said, I read it until the morning. By the morning, I have decided not to kill myself. Just to wait until I see what God does with my life. And whatever that is, even if I live another day, let me see what that is, but I'm not going to take away my life. But he wrote to me a few weeks later, and he's like, well, I'm not sure if you're going to write back, but I just wanted to tell you that. And I wrote back quickly. I got it from my people I work with who received all the mails and I wrote back and he wrote me back the next day he said oh boy you wrote back <laughs> very cute so we have been writing to each other and it's so much and I'm like you pray you tell our lady she's going to fight for us <laughs> so we are praying the rosary together I'm asking please for you to remember this 14 years old his name is Jody 
but God knows his name. <laughs> so you pray for him, I beg you, and there are so many people who need prayers. But it is those feedback I get from you that you give me the strength to continue to share. And it is the same grace of God that touched my heart that will continue to touch you. And it is my prayer that all of you, we all go through something, something, somebody who told us we are not good enough, something that hurt us. It is my prayer that that grace of God touches you again through this story. Another big lesson was to learn that God is real without a shadow of doubt. That was the greatest gift. You know, I realize many times I said, I believe in God, Father Almighty. I just didn't mean it. Until one day you say it, you just know, yes, I know what I'm talking about. I might not know him fully, but I know for sure he's there. Because I met him in the bathroom. <laughs> he is alive. <laughs> he is alive. So as you saw in the documentary, the genocide started in 1994. I was a student in college, like you, many of you here. It's always a joy when I speak to schools because I remember myself back then. And um, I remember the joy, the, the youth, and just looking ahead with a life you don't know where it's going to go, but, you know, just happy. And so I was home for Easter holiday, and I never forgot the day it all started. It was on Wednesday. My brother, who had just finished his master's degree, he came to my room. I remember I woke up, I looked at him. He had on a jacket that has a belt. He had a stick in his hand, and he pushed the door about 6 in the morning, and he said, you are still sleeping. You don't know what happened. I said, what happened? And what went through my mind in a fraction of a second, so much. I thought, my mom was sick last night. Maybe my dad, somebody died. What happened? He couldn't talk quickly enough because why is he here, dressed already, six in the morning? And then he told me, the president of the country died. I remember jumping out of the bed. I screamed to him. They are going to kill us. He's like, why? Why do you think they will kill us? You saw the documentary. In Rwanda, like everything I think happened in our life, God has a way of warning us. And many times, of course, we don't heed the warnings. But we knew it was going to happen. We knew it was going to be terrible. But when? Maybe in 100 years, we thought. So a few things prepared us. You saw the radio in the documentary. That radio was founded by the leaders of the country to literally spread the hatred among people. Because there's no way people hate each other because they are two different people, tribes, race, religion, and just wake up and start killing each other. The government, there's always the politicians behind it for their own interests who will use people to fight among each other. So they saw people understand each other. We have a great culture, sense of accommodation, and people always are helping each other. And they knew if we want to eliminate those people who want to ask us to share the, the power, how can we do it? We better make people fight each other. So they had a radio where for three years, where the journalists would act like they were drunk so they can say all the bad things. I remember it was supposed to be private radio. We didn't know where it came from, where it was talking from. 
But the journalists will say things like, give me scotch, give me whiskey. And I'm like, oh, I'm drunk. And then they will say, you know those people, that tribe, Tutsi, they are not human beings. And they will laugh. They have tails, they have horns, and they will laugh, make fun of us. And they will say, one day we will kill them and get rid of them. Get rid of them. Then we can be just a good tribe and nice and happy when the bad guys are gone. They will make fun for years. And I remember thinking, why is the government not doing something about it? This is a country where if you hurt another person, isn't insulting another person, they could punish you. Why nothing is being done against this one tribe? People are making fun of us. And pe friends, people just started to look at us and just laugh because they were making fun of us all day on that radio. Another much more beautiful thing that prepared us was a blessed mother, Our Lady. She appeared in a place called Kibeho 12 years before the genocide. And one of her main message was that a horrible thing was going to happen to our country. She said it in tears. And as you know, this apparition of Our Lady of Kibeho, she had been approved on, in 2001, which made it the first apparition to be approved on the continent of Africa by our Catholic Church. So in many ways, we are really blessed to have had that. But she said a horrible thing is going to happen. She showed the visionaries who were in high school, three girls so far approved. She showed them people killing each other with machetes. The river with dead bodies, with blood. And Our Lady would talk in tears as a mother and say, my children, this is coming if you do not come back to God, truly from your heart, to love one another, to respect one another, to forgive one another, to respect the commandments of God. Pick up your rosaries and pray. And she said, if you do what I'm asking you to do, what is going to happen will not happen. And that was a huge message for me to really realize that actually we have power to change our future, to change tragedies, especially through this prayer, through respecting the words of our Lord in the Bible, his commandments, through the Eucharist, we can change this by changing ourselves, the future of our country. It was a huge message for me. And it is maybe the main reason I share this because I remember also already saying, if I'm speaking to you, it does not mean that my message concerns only Rwanda, not even just Africa, but the whole world. So whatever she said there, it concerns all of us too. But another bigger message, huge and much bigger, I got from the apparition of Kibeho is the love of a lady. She is such a mother. If you see somebody who is like really loving, multiply that a million times. She is such a mother. She used to talk to the kids and she would remind them, all of us, I, will be, I used to be there on the shrine when she's appearing. And she would repeat and say, I love you, I love you, I love you, my children. Please remember the love, I love you, so that I can be able to help you. And the kids who saw her would be crying. She will call them nicknames, like their parents used to call them when they were little kids. And one time, I remember, when the church started to investigate the apparitions, you know, they took it seriously. And they would tell the kids, 
why do you talk to her like she's your mother? I mean, yes, she's your mother, but remember, she's a queen. She's a queen of heaven and earth. And she's a mother of God. So you have to be very respectful and don't talk like you're laughing, like she's your friend. And the kids said, yeah, we know, and it shows she's a queen. But I don't think we're talking about the same lady. <laughs> because the lady who come to see us, I mean, you can't stand in front of her without falling on your knees. That's how pure she is. You see completely how small you are and how unpure you are in front of her. And she's a queen. But the lady we see, she's always in a, in a mood of joking. She's, she teases us. Like she likes us to laugh, to smile. You know, she smiles at the name we call each other in school. One time she told one kid, actually, after they spoke about the nickname, they nicknamed their other kids and their teachers. I don't know if you do it here. We did. <laughs> and after they talk, our lady smiling, happy how they nickname each other. And then she said, my kids, my children, I love that you have fun. And you can make, name each other names like that. And then she said, but I just want to give you a little advice. Use uplifting words when you nickname each other. Call somebody wonderful. Call, call somebody beautiful. So if they ever hear what you ever call them, they will feel good about themselves. But I love that you have fun. Just make it nice. Make it loving. And you just like hear how you're like, who are you? Who talks like that? I heard a joke. This is a joke, not the message. <laughs> I heard a joke one time, maybe you heard about this, how one time Jesus, you know, he's in heaven, he's walking around in heaven, and there are so many people came, all of a sudden, so many people. And he's like, hmm, this is not the usual number that comes in heaven every day. So he went to Peter, who have the key, the gate of heaven. He said, Peter, are you checking well, people? Are you making sure they deserve to be here? And Peter said, my Lord, I'm screening them well, but your mother opened the back door. <laughs> if I can put it in one word, just the kind of mother I got to know in the Kibeho. Who will not sneak you in behind daddy, but she will make sure you get clean. She will make sure she cries, she does everything, and she teaches you how to apologize, how to do things better. She just doesn't get tired. Once she, you love her especially, you gave her your heart, she will make sure she works with you until she sneaks you out in the back and you get in heaven. Well, that is just a little bit to show the love I saw in her. And this is the same mother who prepared us in Kibeho, in Rwanda, for what was coming. I can still remember when me and my mother were sitting in front of the house. And my mother, listening, I mean, just came from Kibeho, where she heard our lady crying for what is coming. And she said to me, do you think this is the same thing, like in the Bible, you know, the world will end, but 2,000 years later, maybe? <laughs> or do you think this is something that might come now or soon? And I didn't know what to say. But for sure, it was coming soon. It was 10 years later, the genocide, as exactly Our Lady explained, happened to us. 
Even more importantly, importantly, the genocide she tried to protect us from. So after my brother told me, my mind went to Kibeho, this must be what Our Lady said. My mind went to that radio, that's exactly what they were preparing. I was so sure this is it. And it's so funny how maybe God works within us or speaks to us. I remember thinking, what am I going to do without anybody, without my family? And then I would hear myself, but you're going to die with them. You are a tutti just like everybody. I'm like, I know, what am I talking? Like, I would stay and see. But I couldn't help. When I would be like naturally peaceful, my mind would take me how I would be alone. And everybody would be gone. And I would have just to remind myself, no, we're going to die. If we die, we die, all of us. What am I thinking? Why am I thinking that I might stay behind? But it was really somewhere in my heart. And I never accepted that. So anyhow, I went outside. I met my mom, my dad. We were all worried. I remember we put on the radio, and the radio was reporting people being killed from the minute the president died. He was just an excuse to start the whole thing. They have prepared it. They knew where they were going, what they would do to eliminate this whole tribe, his partners. And I remember BBC Radio, two hours after, reported 18 families that were killed. Mom and dad and 10 children have just been killed. Eight children and mom and dad have been killed. And I remember my father saying, saying, this never happened before. We have killed the whole family. Well, that's why they call it a genocide. The attempt to eliminate a whole group of people. They knew what they were doing. So a few hours later, we started to see people coming home. By the end of the day, we had thousands of people. From the door of my parents up to the soccer field where my mom was a teacher. It was like two minutes away from my house. By the second day, we had about 10,000 people. People asking my father and my mom, what do we do? Where do we go? And they were saying there is a group of people literally burning their homes and throwing stones on their home, running them out. This is people from my tribe. And sometimes, I mean, even during the genocide, I was wondering, why are they coming here? My father is not the older person. But my parents were people who cared about everybody. I truly, now I know more than many, that everybody in our lives are a gift. Please treat people you have as a gift of God. You just don't know how long they will be here. Your mom, your parents, your, you know, your children, your husband, wives, your friends, even people, neighbors you never spoke to maybe. How when they're gone, you miss them. You wish you have done something to show them you cared. Thank them when you still have a time. No one of us have a guarantee to live even more one hour. But by the grace of God, we kind of pretend like it will never happen. <laughs> but it does happen. As you know, people die every day. Be thankful of those people. If I had my parents today, I would be just reminding them how appreciative I am and how I love them. But there were people who cared a lot. And I'm grateful to God to have known them, to have had them in my life to teach me what they taught me. Because in the end, our final destination is heaven. And we hope we can make there. But the things I remember we used to speak on our dining table, and maybe that made people come, and people felt that love. It was always about, 
a neighbor who need money to go to school, how my parents are going to raise money and then send them. Who need money to go to see a doctor, and my father is planning how he will go to talk to other men and take that person to see a doctor or have the money. Or somebody who doesn't have a home, he will call other men in the village and they will go to build a home for that person and have something to drink, food, and talk, and laugh, but they build homes for people. So it was always like somebody they need to help. Anybody, not just our, our tribe. And that's people I knew. And, you know, as children, I remember we didn't like those kind of talks, you know. We just wanted new shoes, new clothes. Until the genocide happened, you see people coming and said, what? They know that they love them? They know they cared about them? I remember in, in my country, it was allowed to spank children. You know, when you did wrong, it was a natural thing for parents to do. But parents used to bring their children for my father to spank them for them. <laughs> we have a long line of parents and kids. <laughs> now I know why we did it. My father never spanked any child out of anger. If you did something wrong in the morning, he gave you, he gave you appointment in the evening <laughs> to spank you. <laughs> and when you met, he will never touch you until he have teach you why the wrong is wrong the effect of the wrong, how it can hurt you, how it can grow. If you continue to grow that bad behavior, it can affect your life, the life of the, the whole village, the, how, the life of the whole country. And he will teach you the good you can do instead of that and how the good can grow and become something great and you can be a better person, you can do this and that. In the end, the kids wanted to be spanked. <laughs> As long as you can eliminate all those bad consequences and in that lesson, these kids became really people who were teachers, who were in the military, who were in the government. They would always come back home to bring gifts to my father, to have taught them something. Those are the kind of people I knew, and I'm so thankful to God I had them. So I remember after we had this many people, one of the images I remember of my father so clearly he had rosary in his hand. I, I come from a Catholic family, and I'm a Catholic. And he was speaking to people from every religion. I mean, tribes was not about religion. It was about anybody, you know, whatever you practiced. But in Rwanda, Christians are 98% of the whole country, Christians. And Catholics are more than 70% of the whole country, of the whole population. So mostly we're Catholic. And I remember he stood up in front of people. He had his rosary in his hand and he called out to everybody. And he said, if it is a matter of a small group that want to hurt us, we will defeat them. Do not fear. It was almost like he was trying to tell us, no matter what happened, don't panic. Do not fear. And then he said, but if it is a matter of the government that want to do this, they will do it. They have the police. They blocked the borders. They shut down every activity. The only thing was being done was killing from that moment on. They have the military. So if they want to kill us, they have the means to. And then he said, even if it was a government, let's not be fearful or lose our hope. Let's take this as a chance God is giving us to repent our sins so we can go to heaven. And I remember in that moment, I never thought about faith 
so seriously, like heaven was really for sure so real, that somebody who is actually about to die is saying, let's take this as a chance so we can repent and then go to heaven. Faith grew in my heart in that second to another level. It was a shock. I mean, he wasn't a doctor who is saying, too bad, you are sick. He's like, we might be dying, but we can take this as a chance. And I remember for a few minutes, everybody went quiet. We were repenting. Everything I've done, God forgive me, please, this and that. And after that, people started to talk. He came to me, he handed me the rosary he had in his hand and asked me to go to hide. I didn't want to go. And I truly left out of obedience to my father. I didn't want to hurt him. I thought, what if I got something happened to you? He said, no, just listen to me. I cannot protect people and worry about you. I was one girl among three boys. They just wanted to see me safe. And I remember as I was leaving, he gave me the rosary. And I remember my brother came to him. Another big lesson. It was like every step of this genocide was like a stamp in my heart of a lesson I would never forget. And then my brother came and said, Dad, you're sending her to a Hutu, somebody from the other tribe. And if, a, if things go bad, they might kill her. And my father said, I know that man. Even if things go bad, he will not be able to kill. He's a good man. He is sending me to who was supposed to be our enemies. But when he said that, I remember a lesson he used to tell us. He used to tell us, do not judge people and put them in boxes because they come from that country. He said, make an effort because the easiest thing, the temptation is always to say, oh, that person looks like the people I don't like. People who did wrong to me, who did this and that, from that country, that tribe, or, or that race, that religion. He said, open your heart. If you smell, you feel that if somebody's not nice, take your distance. But do not put people in boxes. They are all the creatures of God. And he used to tell us, if you judge people and put them in the boxes, you will miss out many angels in your life. Because you don't know who God is going to send you when you need it most. So we just used to hear him, okay, Father, he's talking again. But when he said that, this is for my life. I knew how much he loved me. He's sending me. That's really when I said, oh, he really meant it. Now I can see how I can be saved by somebody trusting and not judging. And I'm here truly because my father opened his heart to love people for who they were. And he can get to a point of trusting them. So I went to the neighbor. It was not an easy moment to separate with the family. My brothers were happy that I go. My mom was a little bit further. I can see she said, go, go. But as I was leaving, I felt like something was telling me, it's over. You will never see them again. And on the other side, I'm thinking, why? I mean, is it bad to be created something? Did I even call this? Did I make myself this? What is so wrong about being born a certain way? It is such unjust, so unjust and unfair that someone would want to kill you for something so natural or even hate you. It didn't make sense to me. But again, I'm making a move. Some things like look back. Look back and have a good picture. You will never see them again. It was so hard 
But I kept telling myself, no, 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 it's not happening. Yes, we'll see each other. I went to the neighbor. It was about 30 minutes away. I remember this man was from, he was a Protestant pastor and he was a Hutu tribe. He put me in his home. The next morning, about three in the morning, he showed me this tiny bathroom in his home. Three by four feet with flashlights. He's running through the corridors and he showed me this tiny bathroom. Three by four feet. I remember when I looked at that first, I thought, what am I going to do here? This is too small for me. I can't even stretch my legs. I can lay down. I mean, three days before that, I was in a college. I was a student in a college. I had a scholarship. I was paid to go to school. Three days before that, I had my own room in my parents' house. You mean things can change that quickly? You are just like, no, it's not happening. Well, as I was complaining, he went back and brought five more women. As I'm sure we were complaining in our silence, he brought two more women. We were eight people. The youngest was seven years old, and the elder was 55. That was another big lesson. You know, when you think things are bad in your life, they can get worse. <laughs> Just take it easy. Whatever you have, work with it in peace because it doesn't help to blame, to complain, who did what, how dare. You, you are there. The best thing is look at the situation peacefully and find a way out. How to resolve the situation. How and who and anger, it just make it worse. When we sat there, I remember the man told us, don't speak to one another, don't make any noise, don't even flush the water of the bathroom. And there's somebody else is flushing the water in the next bathroom. So we don't know each other if the ladies, but it doesn't matter. When you're in a situation like that, all it matters is that you are human beings. We cry for the same reasons, we laugh for the same reasons, so you know really what they feel. So we sat there, I remember the first day went by, second day, by the third day, he was able to bring us food. And the food he could afford to give us was the leftovers of his children. The food we mashed them out, threw in the garbage, and he would bring us one plate we would have to share among eight of us. At the end of the week, I was so angry. Oh, I had so many emotions, I didn't think they exist. Anger, anger with my own thoughts. I will be thinking, if I come out, I'll be a soldier, and then I will revenge my family and my tribe, and I will kill people, I will never talk to them, and to anybody who look like them. I mean, I was so angry, and with my poisonous thoughts, my heart will be running faster. My blood will be running faster. My body will be sweating out of anger. And I remember looking at myself, why is this happening? It's just my thoughts. They don't have nothing to do with my body. Why is my body sweating? Why is my stomach and my head aching out of my own thoughts? And that was a little bit scary. I mean, maybe you hate one person which is poison enough. I hated eight million people. My body was just like in fire of anger. And then from anger, I would go in fear which was as damaging and as bad, to imagine the worst thing that can happen. What if? What if they find us? What if this? And I will go in another state of madness. From there, I will feel impatient. 
I can take it. I've never been in a place for a whole week laying down. I can't even stand up. I can't lay down fully. This is the worst thing I've known. Who is putting me here? The anger will come again. And the worst thing when we are hating, we're angry, we don't end the cycle. It's not like a story you review once. The more angry you are, the more you keep going through that. It becomes a part of you every moment. And this and that, and you end. And then you start again. Every few minutes you are back in the same story. And I remember thinking, I wish I can smile again. I don't remember how I smile. I wish I can think good of people. So then I can feel the joy I used to think, but it was bad. At the end of the week, when the man came to give us food, I remember I grabbed his foot and asked him, can you put a radio outside so we can hear what's going on in the country? When are we going to come out? We thought it was going to be two days, the worst thing ever happened. And he was kind, he put three different radios, different channels. We couldn't believe what was going on in the country. The leaders of the country, who used to tell us to be good to one another, be good citizens, they were out on radio, not on a private radio, on a national radio calling everyone to go out and kill everybody of my tribe. They were giving prices to people who killed more people. They said how they went to stadiums and killed thousands of people who run there. They are laughing. And they went to churches and they would make holes on the church, put gas and put fire and burn everybody inside. And they are laughing how they did a good job. Like, we are about to get very clean in our country where we will just live in a paradise. Everyone will have a job and they were lying to people. Government ministers, people who had PhDs. That was really another time I said, we can grow our brains, but if we don't grow the love and the faith, the values in our hearts, and to be able to lead this, this can only damage. But the two together can make miracles. So I'm listening to them. I mean, almost I was getting back my freedom. I don't have to trust them because I think they are leaders. Let me think for myself. So they're talking, and the worst that became the best for me. They gave order to start searching homes to see if anyone was hiding in the houses. You think it was bad to be in one place for one week, but to think that somebody is going to come to look for you, it was the worst thing I've known. I never forgot the first time they came to search, I was stretching. And I looked through this tiny window of the bathroom. I saw something, I thought it was a thousand people, but there were three to four hundred. People from my village. People I went to school with, <laughs> I can call friends. They were dressed in banana leaves. They had all kinds of arms. They have machetes, long spears, grenades, guns, and they came inside quiet in a courtyard. When they got there, they started screaming. And they made a circle of the, on the house to make sure no one jumps out of the window. I remember where I was. The only thing reasonable can go through my mind was, it's over. They're going to kill me, to cut me in pieces. This was a four-bedroom house. It wasn't like a building where you can go and hide under somewhere. There's nowhere you can hide. And for what? 
because God created me like this, it was so bad to even think that way. I knew they were going to find us. It was over. Four-bedroom house. And I remember as I was fearful and in pain I cannot put in words. You know when they talk about agony, there are many words we don't understand really what they mean until we get there. I remember thinking, this must be what they call agony. It was like a thousand needles are going through your body and you are not dying. You are laying down in fire and the fire is killing you, is burning you, but you are not finishing and you just have to continue to burn over and over. And I remember feeling like I heard two voices over my shoulders. Nothing too strange, nothing really. It's, I feel like, you know, we go through that even today when you're facing a challenge or a decision to make. And one voice is telling me, open the door and the torture. It's too painful. And I'm thinking, yeah, it feels like me being reasonable. Let me open the door. But there was a much nicer voice and something was reminding me, do not open the door. Ask God to help you. Remember who he is. He is almighty. You know what almighty means? It means he can do anything. You know what anything means? This is one of those things, anything. <laughs> Ask him to help you. Even if they see you, they might not be able to touch you. That what it means God can do the impossible, make it possible. Ask him. And I'm feeling my hope is coming back. Yeah, that's right. God can do anything. Let me ask him. All of a sudden, I felt like the bad voice was now calling me. There's no God. Really? With everything happening? You think there's God watching all of this? He doesn't exist. It was just your parents and your priest who made it look like it's okay, but he's not there. And because it was sounding like me trying to make sense, it was like my faith was crushed. I couldn't remember how I trusted in God, how I believed. Where does he talk? Where is he? Can he hear me? Does he speak in the church alone? Is he here? I mean, I knew, of course, he's everywhere, but really? Why is he not talking? This is the worst thing happening. Then I remember it was like the nicer voice talked to me. If you don't believe in God now, at least ask him for a sign so that you know he's listening. He might not act the way you want him to act, to show himself how you want him to, but ask him for a sign. I remember in a split of a second, I have to choose what voice to listen to. The bird that says give up, end it, or the one that says hold on to God. And I remember asking for a specific sign so that I will not be confused about who did it. Was it luck or was it really God? I remember asking God, if you are there, if it is somebody who created the ground I'm standing on, if it is somebody who controlled my breath, if it is somebody who created this skin of mine, who put all this together, I am begging you, just show me a sign that you exist, you can hear me. If you give me a sign, I promise you, I will never doubt you again. I might not understand you, but I will never doubt your existence. I would always come to you. And I remember asking him, just not to be confused, if you can hear me, I am asking you 
if you can hear me, do not let them find the door of the bathroom. Don't let them open it. In my human intelligence, four bedroom with 400 people, how is that possible in my human capacity? But with God, it's possible. After that, I think the good God knew I couldn't continue with those voices. I fainted. I didn't hear nothing until about five hours later, the man who was hiding us came to the room, pushed the door. We thought it was a killer. We all jumped. And he told us we have left five hours before. And he told us what they did, how they went inside the house. They went in every room, under the beds. They went in the closets. They went in the ceiling of the house with flashlights. They went on the roof of the house to make sure no one is laying down there. They even opened suitcases to make sure there's no babies hiding. At last, they came right to the door of the bathroom. One of the killers touched the handle. And before he opened, he told the man, you know what? We trust you. You are a good man. You cannot hide these bad people. And he turned around and left. When the man told us, he said, I was shaking, I was sweating. They would have, he could have looked in my face. He would have known that was the place. And I remember he said, I don't know how you're praying, what you're praying, but whatever you're doing, keep doing it. <laughs> he said, I don't understand why they didn't open. When they opened every other place. In that moment, it was like, you are being born again. Like there's something completely, a fate jumps from here to here. My shocking part was, oh my God, God is real. He heard me in the bathroom. And <laughs> he heard me. He, he know what I was asking. This is not possible. So he's here. Okay, God, he's here. And then I started thinking, I didn't talk loud. He heard what I had inside my heart. The prayer I said silently so he can hear everything I was thinking. And then I'm happy that he can see that. But on the other hand, I thought, oh my God, he really see everything. <laughs> you mean we don't have any privacy? <laughs> yeah, he sees everywhere. <laughs> it's a little bit scary, but good. <laughs> so from that moment on, I started to speak to God as I'm talking to you. Okay, God, I'm angry. You know what's going on. I, don't, I know you don't like me to be angry, but... You know my situation is different. I know you understand me. So I would talk to him and just show him everything I was feeling. I remember I grabbed the man. I asked him to give me the Bible. I just wanted to understand why did I almost lose my faith completely? And yet I was in faith all my life. We, we prayed in my home. Every single night my parents prayed together. We prayed. It was all good. But why did I go there? It was a little scary. And I almost lost my faith. And I really wanted to understand just a little bit, why are we here? Why this is happening? Where do we go when we die? A little bit simple. I started to read the Bible as reading any other book you're trying to understand, not just to make sure you read it, or to be inspired a little bit, reading and asking God, looking Genesis, why did you create us? I felt like the, the answers were simple, because I loved you. Why do parents have children? Because they want to have a child, to love them. Okay, so how long do we stay here? 
Well, let's say a hundred years. I mean, how many reached that age? But then where do we go after that? Look in the Bible. There is a paradise. There is heaven. You, could, you can choose heaven or hell, depending on what you use it for this time you are here. What is a paradise like? Look in the paradise, by the way, in the Bible, and look what heaven is about. When you truly want to care about, what is that anyway? It's a paradise. The roads are diamonds and gold. There's no more pain, no more getting older. Everything is completely a bliss. I'm like, hmm, that is good. But how long is it? Eternity. You know how long eternity is? It's really long. Billions and zillions and never, never ends. And then I, I, I took it so seriously. I really wanted to make sure my faith have some roots. I asked the man to give me a notebook and a pen. I wanted to draw so I can compare eternity with 100 years. Billions and zillions compared to 100. And then I remember drawing this 100 and eternity doesn't end to the page and over and over. And I remember thinking, I'm a student in college. I know how to count, how to compare things. Why do I care so much about this more than this if I truly believe? Whatever happened to this, as long as you can go here, which is better, I mean, anyone will take a day in pain if I promise you to live the rest of your life, which is not even eternity, in good. Why do I not focus on this more? And then I started to go in the Bible. So, okay, God, tell me, what are we supposed to do to get there? <laughs> and why this mess of genocide is happening? It's all clear again. I felt like God was saying, look, I gave you directions. Love one another. I gave you commandments. It hasn't happened. That is the consequences of lack of love. Is something like this, a genocide. That simple. And then I remember thinking, well, but I think I loved people. But you are a family. When one hurts, the other hurts. That's why we can never pretend that we can just pray for ourselves and not pray for other people. Their mistakes affect us. And of course, individually, they, we know the end of it. That is heaven. And it is what you have done with what you have got that will take you there. But the consequences and the pain of people who do wrong will always take us there, or when we do it. So I'm trying to understand, and all that really made it a little bit easier, because I knew the end of a believer, of a good Christian, that there is heaven, a person who loves. And the way we went wrong, we haven't loved enough. So I remember then thinking, our lady, she used to tell us, pray the rosary every day and pray it from your heart. I will give you so many blessings. And God likes it. I mean, for those who don't know about the rosary, I just love the rosary because to me, every bead represents, you know, the prayer to say, and I thank God for whoever who put it together because <laughs> the prayers are already pre-done and our job is to just to meditate what prayer to say and, and say it from your heart. And, and our job is just to meditate on those and let it be meaningful to us and thank God for whoever put it together because they were in a good state of mind. My prayers were kill them before they kill me. And I thought I was praying to God. So... I said, let me pray the rosary. Our lady loves it. She said, pray it. So one prayer, which 
again, I believe the rosary is read for everybody. It's a summary of the New Testament. It's our Lord, his life, and Jesus, and our Mother Mary, what they lived through to really save us. How they live this life, such a good example of life, and how to endure life with people who lived it to the perfection. So, as I say the rosary, it, one rosary takes about 20 minutes. Just a simple, it can take a day if you want to meditate on it longer. But one rosary say, takes about 20 minutes. I remember after I finished the first rosary, I felt like I moved from the bathroom to a place of air. I can breathe. I can think about something better. And I stopped to take a little break. It was like hell was back. They will rape you. It was luck. Well, even if you leave, you will be nothing. Your parents will be dead. I'm like, okay, okay, let me say the rosary again. I don't want to talk to you. No. <laughs> I said the rosary because I smelled how it felt like to think of something better, to speak to God for 20 minutes. So I said the rosary again, and I said it, and I said it again because I wanted to keep that love, that refuge, that peace. I ended up saying the rosary all day. My only time to think, to be myself, was around the mysteries. I will read around the Bible what the mysteries meant, what that is about. I will tell God my situation, what's going on, what do I learn from how he dealt with his situation. I'm like, okay, hmm. And I will continue. I said the rosary every single day from morning until night. One day I counted how many rosaries I said. I said 27 rosaries every single day with long meditation and 40 divine mercy chaplets every single day. It took me from six in the morning until 10 o'clock at night when my eyes, my eyes are tired and I would just drop sleep. In the morning, I would grab the rosary in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was like telling the, the devil, I, I'm, I'm covered. I'm in the hands of my lady, don't touch me. Literally fighting with him before he comes to my head and show me how bad things are, which they were. So I kept praying, and I remember I used to complain about saying one rosary. Now I'm saying 27 <laughs> to cover myself. So I prayed throughout the day, and something funny happened. When I got used to it, you know, the routine, it felt like the body voice will find sneakily, softly, his ways beneath my words. I will be saying, oh, Father, who are in heaven? And another voice within me is saying, I will kill them and I will find them. I'm like, I am killing people and I'm praying. Why? How? How that is happening? The bad voice have found a way to my heart. And I remember asking our lady, I used to feel like I am laying down to a lady's lap or I'm holding her legs like this. And she have her hands over me. That's how I can portray it. Or maybe it was that. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I felt like something was telling me, pray from your heart. Mean every word you are saying as if it was happening. That's when that bad voice will not find a way to disturb you. I said, okay, good. And I started. Our Father, who art in heaven, our Lord's prayer is a part of the rosary. So as I started, our Father, I'm like, what am I saying? Am I saying our father, including the bad guys, father of everybody, our father. No, he can't be the father of the bad guys. He's only the father of the good. Something said, well, if one of your brother does wrong, 
does your father stop being their father? I'm like, no, okay, I can take that, okay. The father of the bad and the good. Hallow be the, you know, thy name, thy kingdom come. I'm thinking, okay, you are the father of everybody. And I remember when I reached that part. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It was like a picture of everybody from the tribe of the Hutu came into my face. What am I saying? Forgive me as I forgive them. And I know God is listening to my words. Um, I don't think I forgive them. And I don't think that is true what I'm saying. Something said, well, you are lying to God. <laughs> because you're saying forgive me as I forgive. You haven't forgiven them. I'm like, okay, but I can't mean that. God knows what's happening. I got to try to go through that part. It was like a red flag. Something showing me, you're lying to God. I mean, I said a part of the rosary, you, you say our Lord's prayer five times. In one rosary, multiplied by 27 times. It was many red flags. <laughs> so as I keep going through that, I said, ah. And one time, I couldn't cross it. I am asking God, who is all love, to help me, but me, I'm not willing to do one thing he asked me to do. But how do I will that? How do I do it? I couldn't really understand how do you forgive somebody who's trying to kill you? And then I had a better idea. Something said, well, don't lie to him at least. Maybe you can skip that part of the prayer. <laughs> then you don't have to lie to him. I did it, I started to skip that part of the prayer, and I felt much better. <laughs> no wonder why they have lie detectors. <laughs> Lies don't sit well in our blood. It wasn't working at all. So now I'm happy, I'm not lying to God, I'm feeling better to another level. I kept praying, forgive us as we forget. no, not them, not them, us and the fallen us. And I will go to the next part. I skipping that part until one day, I felt like something was nodding my shoulders and reminding me, hey, I hope you know our Lord's prayer is not man-made. It's Jesus himself who gave it. The one you believe is God. The one you believe he cannot make a mistake. The one you believe actually have gone through worse than what you went through. If I were you, I wouldn't try to edit his prayer. I'm like, oh, fine. I can say this laughing today, but my world was crumbling inside. It's so funny. We want to be right even when we are wrong. But what am I going to do? I need to be right. Now that I see it, what, what do I do? You tell God he didn't know what he was saying. What do you tell him? It doesn't fit in the God we know. He's almighty. And I really needed him. And I needed him to be who he is fully not minimize who he is. It was the first time in my life I understood the meaning of surrendering. It was like I went on my knees and I put my hands up and I begged God, if you know how to forgive, help me out. I don't know how. I am going to give it to you. I promise you I do not know how you can forgive somebody killing your mother. But... If you say pray that way, you are God, you must know it's possible. 
I'm a human being. I can be wrong. You can never be wrong. If you say so, it's possible throughout the generation. So somewhere, let me ask you to help me because you are almighty, really, truly meaning that. But between us, I didn't know that God would ever find a way to make my heart understand that. And the God I have come to understand in that bathroom, that's why I'm so grateful for you who pray and learn about faith because it is a lifetime lesson. God, when I go to understand there, when your heart, when he wants you to understand something or when your heart is wanting to know, he makes you understand. It's not in position. You realize the commandments are a way of protecting us. You realize faith actually makes a sense and is for your own good. So I'm asking him, the God I'm, I'm getting to understand, he's, not going to tell, he's just not going to say, forgive, because I say so. He will make my heart understand if I'm willing. But we must have our will there for sure. He gave it our free will. So I asked him to help me. I put back that part of the prayer. I kept praying now, completely giving up. I said, well, you are almighty. I don't know how, but I am willing. If only you can find a way to explain that to me, how I thought it would never happen. I never forgot. Be careful of what you ask for. A moment came. I was meditating on a fifth sorrowful mystery of the rosary as our Lord was dying on the cross. I am focusing on that, and I decided to read more about what happened, who was there. You know, forget about the movies. Just let it be read from the words, as if it was your friend going through that. I mean, he had been beaten. He had the crown of thorns on his skin, and he's knelt on the cross. He must have been shaking. He must have been crying at the same time. And his body just covered by torn and, and wound and the pain and the sadness. And everywhere he, he, he pulled, it was completely pain. And everywhere he was, I felt like was blood all over. Everywhere he moved, his blood had falling. I'm like, oh my God, this is bad. And I remember looking around as I'm reading the Bible, his mother is there. And you know, it's one thing to suffer. It's another thing to suffer when somebody who loves you is watching you. Your mother is watching you. And you think, he's God. But he allowed her to suffer. Also to see her child being rejected all the way, all the way to the last beat of his life, taking his breath. Why did he allow her? And that was really the moment... You, you know right there, God did it on purpose. This was a part of her job too. It wasn't his doing alone. He is saving us and she is saving us just with him. She would witness everything. When our lady spoke about the seven sorrows in Rwanda, I love that prayer because when somebody can show you their suffering, they suffered out of love, that's really when you can feel their heart. You know the love. When Our Lady explained what she felt at the foot of the cross, she said, I wanted to die with him. I wanted to take his death and put it on me. I, my heart died with him. A mother 
You can just imagine. Those of you who have your children, you know what that might be. She suffered so much to the last, and she's there. And then I remember watching, Jesus is suffering, and he still wants to save a thief on his side, which he did. Who still think about love when you are suffering to that maximum? And in that crucial pain, he's offering his mother to us to be our mother. And I remember thinking, oh, you are so much nicer. I mean, I was in the bathroom. I, I would not think about, oh, let me help someone else. I was just crying for my own help. And then he has the power to stop the pain he was going through. But he won't. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves me. I felt literally that he was speaking back to me. I went through it so that you know if you ever go through anything like this, remember I was there before you. I went through this before you. Learn from me. How did I behave? Did I hit back? Did I kill? And I remember when he uttered his last words. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. It wasn't the first part that broke my heart open. It was the second. They don't get it. They don't know what they're doing. People who are hurting you, and this is how I felt as though he's speaking to me, my child, they don't even put together. They can't think of the consequences that will come on them. And you hating them does not change one thing. They can think of the consequences which will come, will happen to their children, to the whole country. And you being this angry and wanting to hurt them is just joining them and making it worse. You becoming what you hate here. And when I saw that, to a much big level, I felt like, okay, that's right. They don't get it. Why am I competing with this, with somebody who is doing wrong? But somewhere in my heart, I, started, I still felt, I can see how I can forgive them because they really don't know, they, they don't even think of themselves. But they are evil. They are bad people. They deserve to go to hell. And I felt like Jesus was telling me something, asking me a question. And the question I want to ask you, especially us, the adults, adults, who among us have not done one thing or said one thing? A week later, a month later, or a, a year later, all of a sudden you remember what you said and you go like, what's wrong with me? How can I do that? How can I do such a thing? When I realized that, I had many things I regret, and sadly, many things I can say to my friends, people I love, that's when I realize, if I have a chance to change, and when, if I have a chance to deserve mercy when I change my mind, who am I to think that a killer can never change? He's just evil. When I saw them as people who commit evil, who embrace evil, but who are not evil, and who have a chance to see things differently one day or maybe 10 years later, that's I could not hate them anymore. I saw them as the children of God 
who completely misled and blinded by anger, by hatred, by selfishness. And I thought, I felt like God was saying, this is what we all go through. When we start acting out of anger towards the person, or selfishly, me, not you, I don't care about what you think, we become blind too. We do things we cannot think of the consequences of tomorrow. And we will regret it one day or sooner or later. And when we think we've loved, we are safe. I felt like the world was divided in two parts. A part of love and a part of hate. And a part of love where people like you who are trying to, to learn about love, to love. People like Mandela, people like Mother Teresa, people like Gandhi. And a part of hate was people like Hitler. People were causing the genocide in Rwanda. And I felt like Jesus was saying, where do you belong? Where you want to belong? You want to belong with Hitler? Or do you want to go with Mother Teresa, with Gandhi, with Mandela? And guess what? People who are on the side of love have suffered. They know what it is to be through injustice. They know what it is to be hated. But no matter what happens to them, they stand up for faith. They stand up for truth. They stand up for love. Not because of them, what they felt, but what they know to be true. Nothing would change their mind. When I was able to see that, of course, I wanted to be on the side of love. It made sense. And from that moment, I could not hate the killers. I felt like a huge luggage was lifted from my shoulders. I felt free. I felt like my body was lifting from my, the ground. I felt like my mind was now free. I can think of my life. And what happened was, it didn't change the people who were doing wrong. It didn't change the fact that I wanted somebody to hold them and maybe put them in a prison to protect other people. What changed was my bitter intentions. Me victimizing innocent people. I started to think, oh my gosh, I hated the children who, who are not even born yet just because they will belong to that tribe. And that's what hatred becomes. It becomes a sickness. You see somebody who have hurt you, your breath changes. You see somebody who have done something wrong to you, your hair stands. What is happening to you, to your body, to your heart? It becomes a sickness. And when that is over, freedom. The wrong still what it is. Forgiveness is what happened to you. That decision you take, and especially you understand from the heart that it is the right thing. It makes sense. You were misled by thinking if you hold them to that bitterness that is hurting you, that maybe you are doing something heroic, something good, but you can deal with the situation much better when you forgive and truly be objective and see if the other person has changed. And doesn't mean you make yourself a victim. I felt so much better. I was so happy. I felt like I can trust God now. It truly felt like when we're angry and not forgiving, it's like there is a shadow between us and God's blessings. And they're not going through. But when that veil was unveiled, I can think of my future. I started to think, I'm going to find a job. Oh, what if I find a job with people who speak English? 
what if I come out of the bathroom and the war is over and people who can save me are those who speak English? Well, those who know, when I, come, I mean, when I was in the bathroom, I started to learn English when I was still in the bathroom. I would never have gone there. Reading a book English, in English and using a dictionary, English, French, the two of them silently learning a language I now use to write and I used three months later when I found the job with United Nations. We ended up staying in that bathroom for three months from April until July. We came out because the war the was over and there was peace. The bad guys who were killing, they have run away from the country and those who were trying to run away the bad guys, they won the war three months later. When we came out, I was still thinking that maybe somebody in my family is still hiding like I was. But the very first night, I found out everybody was killed. My mom was killed, my dad, my two brothers, my grandma, my grandpa, my aunts, my uncles, my neighbors, my best friends, my schoolmates, in my school of 2,500 students, they killed 900. It was like end of the world. A million people was killed in a period of three months. Everywhere was dead bodies. And dogs were eating people. So many times I thought, what do you do when you go through this? I want to think with my head, not how I felt inside. And how I feel, you die. You, you crash, and anytime I cried, and I cried completely screaming, oh my God, am I dreaming? Am I, am I having a nightmare? Is this happening? I will never see them again, and I still cry today. But I will feel like something in my heart is holding me strong, and something is reminding me, I am with you. Talk to me. The journey of your loved ones is over, but they are not lost, more than many, you know that. There is heaven, our people are not lost. But your journey is still here. And you don't know how long it will be. It might be a day, it might be a week, it might be a year. And it is up to you to use it for good or for bad. To love or to hate. To build or to destroy. To care or act selfishly to learn or be hard head. It's up to you. But if you choose to love, I am with you. Ask me for whatever you want, you need. I will literally clean my tears, remembering that there is heaven and my God is watching me. I can't see him, but I know he's there and I can feel his voice within. I mean, we always have to question who is talking to me, what is that? Does it make sense? Is it me? But if it makes sense, encouraging, I always take it. That must be the inspiration of God. I will stand and write letters to God. My dear God, you are now my father. I need clothes to change. I will ask him like a child is talking to a parents when you're going to a boarding school. And I need sleepers. <laughs> and I need bed sheets, and I need a mattress, and I need a blanket, and I need actually a room to sleep in, because we were sleeping on the ground around the forest. Somewhere every morning you wake up 
and stones will be stuck under your cheek. And I will feel like something was reminding me, pick up your rosary, say your prayers, and get up and help who need you most. Even if I myself, I needed help. I remember when I went in the bathroom, I was 115 pounds. When I came out, I was 65 pounds. Every bone was out. I can count two bones here. All my ribs were out. But somehow, the little strength I had, God is saying, you can help the one they cut the arms. You can push them. You can help feed them. Just your job every day. Care, love. Do good in the capacity you can. That is what you ask for. Maybe tomorrow we never come. But today, just do your best. And I really will take it. Okay, that's my job. Let me see who needs what. In the capacity I can. By two meters I can go to. And that, I feel, is maybe the job of all of us. We don't know how long we'll be here. We can work and go to school. But when God is going to take us, only him knows. But what can we do today to make our lives be meaningful? Be good. Be loving. Just today. Do something. Apologize. Forgive somebody. Just today. And you wake up, tomorrow it's another day, oh good, to make things better. So then I can make another good day. Apologize, forgive, love, do something good, do my task, but it can be the end of it. And that's how I took my days after that. Soon after, with my list I had, I found a job with United Nations. I went back to the prison to see someone who killed my family to forgive him. And when I went, really, I there was a piece of me that wanted him to know, yes, I forgave him. My heart was at peace. And another piece of me, I wanted to see how I will react. People kept telling me, it's too soon to forgive. And I thought, maybe this is a mechanism of surviving. If I see them, I might change. And I was scared of that. I really wanted to live in truth. And I remember when I saw this man, he was coming from a corridor. He was in prison. I broke down and cried. This man had, his hair was upside down, and his beard, he hadn't shaved in six months, and he used to be a man like many of you here, who used to wear a suit, had a great job, had a great family, his children my age. I mean, before that, he would tell me to do anything. I would respect him like my father. Now, when I saw him in a prison, I remember his foot was swelling, and one foot was really wounded, and when I saw him, I cried. And what came to my mind was, you see what I told you? They could not know what they were doing. Who wants to bring themselves here? Again, a reminder, not to them, but to me, that what happened when we do wrong. This is the consequences. And thank God for God's mercy, because he forgives us always. But that, what we go towards when we act without love. And that was a huge lesson. Four years later, I came to United Nations, United States, where I continued to work in United Nations in 1998, four years after the genocide. And in 2006, I published my first book. And I, I hold on to always Our Lady, Our Mother. I remember when I was publishing my first book, I didn't know how to write books. You know, people used to tell me, write a book. And I would say, I'm not a writer. <laughs> People who write are born writers. One that time, I decided to listen to people who were telling me, 
used to give us courage. And I wrote the book. The first draft took me three weeks. The second took me three months. And during those three months, that bad voice was back. Who you think you are? You can write a book. Nobody will care. And it sounds like you being, you know, smart. I'm like, I know, what am I doing? I will stop writing. But when I will pray, the nicer voice will come and say, go and finish your book. Just do your part and complain later that you don't have a publisher. I'm like, hmm, that's much better. So I fasted, I prayed, I went to mass every day, I begged God, just keep me strong enough to finish my part. And it is the truth of what happened. That's why I love God so much, in every way, many ways. I prayed rosary every day, and I remember three days after I finished writing the book, I went to a workshop. And there was a man who was at the end of a line, and there were many people going to him. And I joined the line just to see what he was telling people. Because people kept coming out from meeting him, laughing and happy, some of them crying. And I said, what is he telling people? So I joined the line. I remember when I reached about 10 people, and this is just to share with you, please never lose hope. We for our God, whatever he wants will happen. But it's such a joy to just see his life, our life in his hands unveiling. So when I reached about 10 people before the man, I realized everyone was going for him to autograph the books, his book. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know what he writes about, who he is, what am I going to do? This is New York City. So I want to run away. Something said, just buy a book and pretend to know what you're doing. <laughs> I said, okay, much better. Let me act like everybody. I bought his book. I'm praying, just remember, for three months, fasting, eating like once a day, fasting, begging God, just show me somebody who can help me to publish a book. How do they do it? Never met anyone who published the book. And I remember I had one fantasy when I was writing. I wanted to see my book in Banzanobo. But I didn't know how you get from the computer to Banzanobo. <laughs> but anyhow, I reached this man. I bought his book. I'm hoping he doesn't ask me why I bought that one. I gave it to him. He took it. He signed, I want to run. He pulled me back. And he said, how are you? I said, I'm fine. And he said, where did that accent come from? In my head, I'm thinking, I don't have an accent. <laughs> What are you talking about? So I told him I'm from Rwanda and his face lit up. And he said, do you know what happened there? He asked him. I told him, I know, but everything is good now. I just want to go. He pulled me back. He said, are you a Tutsi? Are you a Hutu? Were you there when it happened? And do you know, where is your parents? Where is your siblings? Quickly. I mean, he had a long line of people waiting for him. And I didn't have a choice. So I told him what happened. Uh, I was hiding and my parents are in heaven, you know, just making everything look good and I don't want to drop all this bad, you know, news on him, just like that. Everything is good, but the truth, but in a side, much nicer. <laughs> and he looks at me, he said, what makes you smile after all you have seen? I said, well, there is God. Our life don't end here and I just hope I can do my part. And he looks at me, he said, have you thought about writing a book? <laughs> I, 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 it was so quick. I mean, three days after. I mean, God answered my prayers, but not that quickly all the time. I couldn't tell the man, like, yeah, I finished three days ago. 
It will sound like I just knew what would happen next time, you know, like a magic something. I couldn't tell myself, oh, I, I thought about that. Actually, I started before I even ended what I was saying. He said, if you can find a way to tell anyone how you can be yourself after what you went through, I promise when you write your book, I will publish it. I'm like, who are you? I mean, I'm praying, but how this happened? And we, I was just like shocked. My head is spinning. And he's like, okay, this is my contacts. You contact me whenever you finish the book. I went home. I can't believe what happened. Who is he? I went to the computer. I found out this man have written about 40 books. His, his name is Wayne Dyer. So if anyone have, can show you how they publish books, that was my, maybe the person... And I waited for a week. I couldn't sleep. I thought it was like a year. I called him. I said, I finished the book. He said, in a week? <laughs> well, I have to tell him what happened. Look, you ask me three days after. Someone had bought me a ticket to come to that conference. It wasn't even in my plan. But I was praying. But I don't understand. So anyhow, he was nice. Long story short, this man introduced me to his publisher, to his editor. The book came out. The following eight months, I remember my publisher, who are not really Catholic, they picked randomly the launching of my book to be Ash Wednesday the following year. And I fasted six months into leading to my book. I was, how I fasted, you know there are many ways. I fasted, I didn't eat meat, no fish for six months. I was completely a vegetarian, not a good one too. Just as I couldn't find what to eat without anything to do with meat. Dry and bread and, you know, water. It wasn't good. But I remember I prepared a party. Because I didn't know it was going to be Ash Wednesday. I'm going to break my fast on Ash Wednesday. <laughs> I didn't know. Until I went to church like two weeks before, you know, I'm in church. And our priests talk about land. And he's like, well, we're going to start. It's going to be March 1st, Wednesday, two weeks from now. I said, what are you saying? That is my party to break my fast. <laughs> well, I had to remember I'm a Catholic. I added another 40 days. <laughs> it became seven months and a half. But a miracle happened. Two weeks into the launching of the book, after Ash Wednesday, the book was New York Times bestseller. I didn't know what that meant. I wish I could be... <laughs> Because it's your first book, you're just writing, and you don't know what that is. So it was so funny, I never forgot. 60 Minutes called me, and that was a trigger of to know what's going on. And I'm home, and they called, because the publisher told me, if any TV, radio calls, let, me, let them know. So after I hung up, I remember thinking, I didn't know what 60 Minutes was. I was really still new. So after I hung up, I'm like, is somebody playing games on me? 60 minutes, 60 minutes, 60 minutes. It sounds like one hour. <laughs> Who will call 60, make a call quite a short 60 minutes? Well, I had to ask. And my publisher, when I told them, they just went crazy. Who called? Who was the producer? Who is this? And they were hung up, and somebody would call me again. Okay, who, what time did they call? What exactly? I'm like, can somebody tell me what's going on? Because it was just beyond what I was thinking about. 
it became a huge blessing. And this writing and becoming bestseller have really become a blessing to my writings, especially it gave me a chance to write about what I love most, Our Lady. I cannot put in words how much I love her. But it's because I got to know how much she loves me. I can love her. If you don't know her, it's really hard to love her. But if you get to make it your duty to know your mother, you cannot help but love her. And what really made me love her most, especially through the rosary, just her love, being with our Lord from birth until his death, she suffered everything he suffered, as you can imagine. She really saved us through with her, with him together. You know, they were there together to, 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 you know, to be where we are, to save us. And I loved her especially through the apparitions. You know, when you hear how she speaks to people, the sweetness, even if you can't hear her, but the words the visionary says, or the f- smile they have in their face, you just go like, that's my mother. Do I even know her? And I have had my own experiences through the apparitions, little things I'm praying for, and you just feel how loving, how loving she was. It is so good to have Our Lady. I wrote about Our Lady of Kibeho. I will continue to write about her. And I love how she continued to guide us, to pray the rosary, to give us the Seven Sorrows Rosary. I made a booklet about that. And I heard here in this school, there's a club of the Seven Sorrows, Our Lady of the Seven Sorrows. You are good, guys. Who are they? Who are you? Who are you? Are you here? Can I see people who are, oh, thank you. She must be so happy. Our lady used to tell us, help me, help me, my children. She said, we need this rosary of the seven sorrows more than ever, more than ever today. For so much evil have overtaken the world. And she said, I will bless you. I, will, I pray for you, for those who say it. And she wants all of us to say it. Not just those in the club, but all of us to say it. And she, as she asked, help me, she wanted us to teach it to other people in our families. I remember the visionary used to tell our lady, Mother, I, okay, I know, I, I know it, I will be saying it, but you want me to teach the world, but I can't reach everywhere. I don't even have money to go to the next city. And our lady will tell her, my child, just do your part. You teach where you can to the neighbors, your friends. I have many angels in the world. I have many. I remember one time I called the visionary. I told her, you need to come here to help us, to spread. I'm only trying to to listen to our lady when she said, help me. And then I told her, can you come? She told me, Imakere, listen. Our lady told me, I will choose those who will receive the message and I will choose those who will spread it. So as you can hear, we are all responsible. And she's calling you, each one of us, to pray it for our own good, but also to spread it. And I have seen so many miracles happening through this prayer of the seven sorrows rosary, which our lady again said, it doesn't replace the other one. And just her love, she shows you how, you know, she, they suffered for us. You know, when you really get to know somebody's pain, you get really close to them. And she helps you to open your heart and to hear you. Anyway, few, few um, miracles that have been happening through this rosary. It's amazing. I received so many letters, so many emails, and they, I can put them in this category. One category are people who get pregnant, who have been trying to get pregnant. 
Not the students. Not the students, okay? It doesn't concern you. Not now. <laughs> you can pray for the people. You have enough work. But anyway, people who get pregnant, who have been trying for like 10 years, 15 years, and they pray, you know, devote to themselves to this prayer, and they get pregnant. And many people send me the pictures of their children, and some people name their children after me. I say, no, call our lady, not me. Call our lady who is doing all this. And they're so happy. I have like 15 cases, literally, of babies. People send me after they got pregnant, trying, you know, after they got pregnant when they sang this rosary. And it's so funny. I met a guy in one place. He, called me. he came to me after I spoke about it. And then he said, Immaculate, I heard what you said about that rosary. I said, oh, good. That's nice. He's like, no, it's not nice. I said, what happened? He said, me and my wife, we have seven children in nine years. <laughs> and then he said, I just told my wife, I don't want to see that rosary in my house. That was so funny. I just love Of course, he knew what he was talking about, but I told him, don't blame the rosary. <laughs> Seven kids in nine years. But truly, though, that's a joke aside, but truly is a blessing to people who have been trying. And I'm amazed how a lady, of course, give people babies who are trying to have babies. Another category of miracle that happen are people who have been battling addictions. I have so many letters. I never knew there were so many type of addictions. I'm getting to know through people who give me the feedback of how this rosary have affected them, but people heal from addictions. And that is one of the promises Our Lady have told us. And she said, if you pray it for somebody, you know the blessing will act the grace on them as if they have said it. It was especially a gift to parents, to people who are loving like you, when you know somebody you can pray for. Another category are people who heal from different sicknesses. I mean, I have, again, many cases of those who heal from cancer. And I remember one lady, the first one I heard about seven years ago when I started to speak about it, is a woman, a grandma, her child had backbone cancer for three years. They said this seven strokes rosary for the whole weekend, and they went to see a doctor after the whole weekend, like, all day, she said, I read your book, and we closed ourselves in the room for two days. We were praying from morning until night. They went to see the doctor the following week. They could not find a trace of the cancer in that boy. Another one big miracle that really amazed me is a lady who had stage four pancreatic cancer. Her whole family, they created Facebook, her neighbors, her friends, they all started to pray this rosary for her, after two months, she went to take the test. They could not find a trace of the cancer. When she told me, I said, okay, good. Can I share this message to my list? She said, yeah, you can. And then I told her, don't worry. I will not share your name. I will just put initial, but people will know what this prayer is saying. And I know they can trust me that I'm never going to say what didn't happen. God looks in my heart. So anyhow, I told the lady and she's like, oh no, give them my number. I want them to call me and to call my doctor. I need to tell people. She was so fired up. She was so happy. And I am so thankful to a lady. And that is who I want to write about. Life is short. And 
We are here to do the best we can do to reach out to our brothers and sisters. If we believe God, God is our Father, as He tells us in the Bible, more loving, more loving than we, our parents can love us, more than we can love our children, that's big. When we see people's children, when their parents are there, we want to be much nicer to those kids. And if you have in mind, everybody, each one of us, our Father is God. I better look at you nicely because he's watching all the time. And he loves you more than I love my children. I try to understand that. And I'm sure it will take me a lifetime. But we, with that in mind, when you look at other people, choose how to treat them knowing their father is watching, their mom is watching. Choose the words you are using to speak to one another. Choose the way you want to forgive one another. Choose the way you want to apologize as if their father, whose life your life depends on, is watching and treat everybody with love. It is really that simple. When you judge, be kind. What that judgment is about, to make somebody feel small, or is it something you just want maybe to change something or to give an advice? or to help somebody to see things better. When even you're trying to tell somebody the truth, will you like to be told that cruelly, abruptly like that? Or can I think about it and choose my words, choose the situation to relate to the person? When you give your criticism, can I make it more loving? Can I make it kinder? It is the purpose of our mother. When she asks us to pray, she's saying, I love you that much. And I truly believe, believe, as they say, people who hurt other people are people who are hurt. But through loving our God and knowing how much he loves us also, we are healed. When you get to know how much you are loved, nothing else means much. You just want to jump and sing and praise because everything is great. When you're angry, you want to go and be alone and plot who you can go to hurt. When you are hurt, but when you are happy, you want to dance. You want to just really be happy. No room for doing anything, you know, to hurt another person. And Our Lady, when she gives us the rosary, her love, her messages, I think about her as a mother who is holding two-year-old, one-year-old, and teaching you to walk, teaching you to pray, teaching you to talk. Pray this way. And it's okay to pray how we can, but she's teaching us, pray this way, my children. It had been a great joy to be writing about her, to share her love, and the proceed of my books, as you see, everything there, a, a part of the proceed of my book goes through the foundation left to tell. And I do take people to Rwanda. If you want to come to see the Shrine of Our Lady, if you ever want to come to see the house I lived in, please feel free. You can always go to my website and see you know, the, the things I'm doing, the places I'm going to, and I would be so happy to take you to Rwanda. My next trip will be in August, hoping that you can join us. It is a, such a great to be able to, be, to talk to you, to be here. And really, truly, I'm going to think through about sending my kids here because I'm just loving everything you do. <laughs> and before I go, I want to remind you, Please, no matter what happens to you, no matter what happens to you, hold on to God. Hold on to a lady. There is always hope.
And there is heaven, even in dying, there is hope. And if I can forgive, please remember, anyone can forgive. And there is so much love there. There is so much freedom there. Thank you so much for having me.